Hey everyone, this is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B coming at you from the Market Scale Studio, and welcome to another episode of In the Cloud. Thank you for joining us for some technology industry thought leadership today. Joining us to unpack some of the applications around AR technology, specifically for immersive experiences at scale, is Nicholas Robb. He's co-founder of Hoverlay, which is an AR-enabled events company. Nicholas, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicholas. Uh, I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. We saw AR, I mean, obviously have a trend in growth and application before COVID. But then with COVID, there was almost a necessity to try to use immersive technologies to maintain some level of uh, experiential focus for the end user in various events. And now that we are approaching a reopening at scale across the U.S. and various other countries as we prepare for summer travel, we've got a lot of end users that are eager for some in-person experiences. So AR, again, gets another refocus. So let's go ahead and jump in here for event organizers specifically, I guess of any kind. How should they weigh the pros and the cons of augmented live events versus trying to maintain some level of remote immersive event or, or performance? Basically, break down what you think that balance should look like moving forward and what the pros and cons should be of each. Right. So uh, it's a great question. So I think, you know, in general, a way to think about AR is as a medium that sits right between, you know, kind of the traditional digital world uh, that is consumed, you know, on a screen and is consumed in a way that is very distant from the physical world and physical events or physical experiences. So this new medium really sits right in the middle of those two worlds. And it can be used to enhance a physical event, uh, to give a physical event a gateway to digital content. Uh, and I'll expand on that uh, in a minute. Or it can also be um, experienced in a kind of a digital, in a remote fashion in order to take digital content and give an illusion of presence that is much harder to do with a traditional you know, video-based or screen-based kind of experience. And at the core of AR, the reason why this, is, this, this new medium sits right in the middle is that if you compare uh, what we've been doing with digital content uh, for the past 30 years is that we've been putting content in browsers or on screens, so within the, the confined space of a screen, a 2D screen. Uh, AR is uh, basically bringing content into the camera feed. And, and by using the camera of the user, you're tricking the brain, you're creating the illusion of presence and the sense that this content is now a lot closer to you and a lot more in your real life environment than anything that you could experience in a traditional fashion. So for event organizers, that means uh, being able performances, speakers in someone's room in a way that will make them feel they're meeting the person, make them feel this hologram is actually right in front of them versus looking at it kind of more distance, distant from the screen. Right. Um, and also for people who organize physical events, uh, the, the other side of, of, of you know, the physical gathering, uh, and one of the reasons why we created Havale was to enhance physical concerts uh, that involves to other things, but to place content that the public can access just by being in the same physical space. So by opening your phone, this content, you know, just think of it as, you know, what Pokemon Go brought to us, right? So right. it's content that exists in a physical location and that the public 
and the audience can cover interact with while or before or after an event but at a physical location mm. and you know this past year obviously was a great opportunity to show that feasibility of ar events even if that ar was not integrated into a physical location but was more of an extension of a remote immersive experience so what aspects of that can we expect to stick around and become mainstays uh, and which are aspects that you think we still need to perfect and re-realize for today's needs? So what we saw with COVID um, right at the beginning of 2020 is a, um, a sudden need by um, particular um, um, presenters, so people who organize concerts and physical events, um, um, theaters and you know, uh, festivals, to find an alternative to not being able to open up and welcome the public. And what we've seen is a number of them creating immersive experiences by combining a view of their environment. So like a 360 photograph of their, their space and inserting performance, which themselves would be recording remotely. So composing, if you want, a volumetric immersive experience um, at scale, I mean, being able to take you know, an artist that could be in Europe or in Los Angeles and have them virtually perform at the Library of Congress, uh, you know, the college um, auditorium, for instance, uh, without any of those player ever meeting together. And that being delivered to a user uh, in the form of an experience that would unfold around them. It's like having the best seat in the house and you're sitting right in front of the stage and you're looking at this, this, um, this experience. So, that year, I think, pushed the envelope. You know, it helped everybody transition. Those, those venues that used to be really focused on physical events now had a first glance at what they could do to actually virtualize their space, you know, to create kind of a, a digital twin of their space in the virtual um, sphere and start to utilize that sphere and that space to, you know, host concerts, maybe have a B stage for instance, you know, so you can have your main event, the still physical event, and you can have more frequent, maybe lesser known artists where you would take a bigger risk as a presenter or an event organizer, have them perform in those virtual stages. So you're still opening up, you know, a concert-like or a performing event-like uh, experience uh, with this intermediary medium that, that is augmented reality. Right. Now, if you could dig into the level of experience that end users expect and that you think is feasible out of uh, exhibits like this, from a user experience, how do you design how interactive, I guess, you know, on a some arbitrary scale, how interactive an exhibit needs to be to work? Because there's got to be some balance there between you don't want to make it too cumbersome to where the experience of engaging with whatever is in front of you ends up detracting from what you're supposed to learn or take away from it, but you also don't want it to be so light that it doesn't even feel interactive anymore, right? So describe that balance for us, in your view. Yes, you're right. And I think uh, you bring a great point, which is that AR is such a powerful medium and it's so visually compelling that I think there's been a lot of focus on the, what I call the special effect part mm -hmm. of AR. Uh, versus the actual substance, you know, and I think right now we're starting to see people looking at it more as a more substantial way to deliver content, something that's more, um, um, more deeply rooted into content than just the effect, 
You know, it's like it's like creating the Star Wars movie. I mean, yes, you need to have special effect, but it doesn't it doesn't replace the storyline. Doesn't you know the plot, the the tension that you know. So I think we're starting to get into the understanding of that. And I'll share one example of something that I thought is very very interesting use of AR uh, by one of our uh, customers. It's, it's a uh, public art organization in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they've deployed hologram uh, around the physical art collection uh, around the city of uh, the artist when they're still alive. So talking, you know, full size as holograms about their art uh, or curators or people that can talk and add a certain color and certain understanding for the public about the art piece that is in front of them. So it's not a replacement, it's an augmentation of that experience. And again, think of it as you seeing a major piece of public art and having the artist telling you what he was thinking when he created that piece and what it means and why it's there and why it's built this way, oriented this way, named this way. I think it's a very unique new form of experience uh, that I think benefits the public in general uh, and just offers a whole new range of ways for um, organizations to, to engage with the public. So I think this is what I'm seeing now as being the new phase of AR, which is, you know, augmenting physical locations uh, with content that is relevant, that is enriching, and is connected to the physical experience that the public is, is having at that moment. Hmm. What I want to do now is peek under the hood a little bit and chat about some of the other technologies and systems that have to work in tandem with AR to deliver that experience. So to achieve a lot of AR integrations at scale, especially in the sort of exhibit context that you and Hoverlay work in, you need a lot of reactive triggers and you need a lot of connectivity between AV, content, etc. And I think this puts a lot of emphasis on IoT integrations as well, along with AR. So I'm curious uh, what your perspective on that um, crossover is there. What do integrators need to keep in mind as they look to launch immersive but connected content and experiences? Is there a crossover there between AR and IoT at scale that you think presents any great opportunities or challenges that we need to highlight? Yes, I think there's clearly a, a connection there. Uh, there is a connection with a number of pillars that are, you know, maturing uh, fast. Uh, I mean, the, the, the most basic one being 5G uh, and, and kind of a certain level of connectivity. Uh, why is that? Well, because those experiences are very rich in terms of uh, the content that you're providing. You're often providing, you know, 3D models that can be fairly large, complex. Um, you're providing video content, sometimes multiple video content that all needs to be accessed and served, um, you know, through a phone. So it's not just watching a video, it's may having three videos at the same time that are streamed to your phone. So you start to have a level and you can see now that the need for connectivity and the enabling, one of the enabling pieces networking. The second is the actual hardware, um, the computational power that you have in your pocket, which again, has been increasing very rapidly. Um, you look at latest iPhone, you even have a LiDAR scanner. So you're able to actually offset some of the computation and understanding of the the environment of the user to the hardware of the phone. So I think this part is actually moving very, very fast. And I think we're all expecting also glasses to come along, you know, in a pretty, uh, pretty soon. And I think the third piece I think is, is the inputs and the ability to sense the environment either through visual recognition or 
through sensors. And, and IoT plays you know, a big role. So again, probably less in the physical, uh, in the public art uh, realm, but in the industrial space, I think it's, it's very critical because that's how you bring back the information back to where it's the sensors and the, the information is actually collected. So that you know, person on the ground can actually look at uh, a pump. Um, you know, you know, uh, can, can look at a piece of equipment and have the information being collected, centralized, sent back in the form of a visual overlay on that particular piece of equipment, so that they can act um, appropriately depending on what needs to be done. So I think those are enabling technologies. They're maturing fast, and they can all come together. Um, um, you know, now they're, they're available and, and, you know, we as an industry, I think, are um, gradually integrating that properly for an easy deployment of those technologies. Another set of technologies, or I guess uh, just digital workflow that needs to be addressed is content management and content flow, uh, especially for uh, more idle aspects of the immersive experience. Uh, or if there are connections between those reactive triggers and then some piece of pre-recorded content, right? So what challenges have you faced in trying to manage content flow and content management for an AR platform? Uh, give us a lay of the land, maybe how that was amplified or changed by COVID and where that leaves us today. So um, I think one of the, the, the main piece for AR uh, is content, uh, the main, the main uh, not necessarily bottleneck, but the main challenge, I would say, that needs to be addressed and where some barriers still exist is on the ability to produce content. So what we've, we've, been, we've been focused on is bringing traditional 2D content and ARifying that content. You know, how do you take assets that are easy skills-wise uh, to produce, uh, you know, videos, um, you know, audio, imagery, green screen videos and turn that into elements that you can now place in an immersive experience. Um, the kind of the next iteration of that, you know, type of, of content is 3D content, right? So what's very popular and, you know, gaming engines and, you know, um, all kind of other uh, tools for 3D modeling um, is not necessarily easy to access for content producers. You know, if you're a, a somebody producing content, you know, there's a huge barrier to being able to comfortably manipulate 3D content and create and optimize content for the delivery uh, through an AR experience, basically. Uh, and so I think this is one of the challenges I think that we are, um, that as a, as a, as a platform for augmented reality, we, um, we need to address. So we on our end, offering, for instance, optimization of content. So as you upload content, um, you know, in a 3D format, uh, we can convert it to different outputs. Uh, and we can uh, uh, compress the textures, make them light enough that they can be not only rendered on a phone, you know, from the standpoint of the complexity of those models, but also from the size of the delivery. Because again, going back to the, you know, mobile connectivity, uh, you cannot easily send a hundred megabyte worth of data to a phone and somebody who's you know in the middle of uh, of the street. So you have to think about the delivery in terms of size and the complexity of those models in terms of computational power that's available to render them. And that's these are some of the challenges I think. Uh, in addition to being able to take traditional assets that are non AR assets and turning them into AR, 
I think are the challenges from a content management perspective that um, platforms like Hubble are focused on to be able to offer that bridge, if you want, from, from you know, your existing content to an AR experience. All right, last but not least, Nicholas, uh, what I want to unpack here is basically just your final tips and strategies, if you had to summarize them, for what integrators should do to maximize AR tech at scale for their exhibits. So what would be the strategies you would offer to integrators uh, to maximize AR tech for interactive exhibits at scale? Break that down for us, and then we'll wrap. So I think that the, the main thing to do is not to think about AR, is to think about what is the emotional state that you want the public to get to. Get to. Is it you know, something where you want them to feel compassionate about a cause? Uh, is it you want them to, to feel excited about a product? You want them to understand the operations of a product? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And then go from there and then figure out how to utilize AR to that end. You know, and if you start with AR, I think it's been a ch challenge I've seen so far with a lot of AR projects is that they're very, I would say, superficial or gimmicky because they're not trying to address a specific, um, you know, a specific point, right? So you can uh, think of it if you're trying to use um, AR in an event is what can I bring to bear from an AR perspective in order to achieve a certain communication, a certain state of mind that I'm trying to convey to the user. And then you have a broad palette of options from you know, complex 3D models, but all the way to simple holograms of people, experts telling you about a product that, that are completely different in terms of the complexity of production. Some are very simple to produce, some are very complex to produce, but they can actually give you a better outcome. So I think that's my, my you know, big advice is start to think about utilizing this medium as a way to create an emotional state with your users and just look at the things that you have to get to that point with AR. All right, Nicholas Robb, co-founder of Hoverlay, an AR-enabled events company. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts today on the current state of AR technology integrations at scale for immersive experiences and strategies for how to maximize those integrations. Uh, Nicholas, if folks want to find out a little bit more about Hoverlay, some of the work that you're doing or some of the technologies powering what you are putting out there for immersive experiences, how can they get in touch? How can they learn more? Our website is a great place to start, and uh, we offer free tiers for people to start playing with AR uh, and, and experience with it. So feel free to reach out, and, and we have a lot of examples of customers on our site uh, that you can tap into to be inspired. Perfect. And that would be Hoverlay.com? Hoverlay.com. Perfect. All right, Nicholas, Rob, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you everyone for watching another episode of In the Cloud. Make sure you're heading to marketscale.com, heading to our shows page to find previous episodes. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of In the Cloud.